Well, amen. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning and certainly uh, praying for Pastor James and the team of 18 that's in Puerto Rico. Continue to pray for them. I believe they return on Friday, so each day we have an opportunity to get updates. So keep watching your Facebook posting and the website as well as we pray for them. Um, What a blessing it is, an opportunity, and I'm honored to be able to share God's Word with you and to continue this series on the church. I don't know about you, but it's been a blessing to me. I've enjoyed this series, and in case you're just coming in today for the first time, let me just give you just a a quick synopsis of what we've been doing over the last several weeks. We first talked about the importance of belonging to a local body of believers, and we simply said this, membership matters, right? We are part of a church family. You're part of something that's bigger than yourself. This is kingdom work, and it requires a family. It requires a team to carry out the great commission that God has given to us. And then we looked at the importance of attending church. The Word tells us not to forsake the assembling of believers together. We pray for each other. We bear with one another. We worship together. We study the Bible together. We are accountable to each other. And it's difficult to do these one another's of Scripture if we're not together, right? Over the weeks, we've also talked about church discipline. It's biblical and much needed in the New Testament church today. Discipline means simply that we are being discipled. We are disciples of Jesus. We are following him and his precepts. And we celebrate when we are obedient to his word. And at the same time, we sharpen each other when we're not obeying the word. That's discipline. And the goal is always being reconciled back to God and reconciled to each other. We talked about authority in the church, recognizing that Jesus is the head of the church, right? And he's also given oversight to the pastor, to the teaching elders. And as they follow Christ, we can follow them, recognizing that all of us are equally valuable but we've been given different roles in order for the body to function to to its fullest potential. And so last week, Pastor James discussed the role of women in the life of the church. And so the biblical stand that he made was that of complementarian role to the senior pastors and elders. So just as Paul has given instruction to men and women in the life of the home, he also gave instructions for men and women in the life of the church. And they don't contradict each other. First of all, I hope you heard how much we love and value women in the life of our church. Not only here at Red Lane, but as we go into all the world. How important are you to the life and the vitality and the ministry of the church, both here in our community and beyond? And that leads us to our focus for today, titled, Women in the Church, Part Two. No, not really. I asked Pastor James if he would address that last week. So I get the fun one, and that is loving one another in the church. Based on John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus said this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Notice, if this was a new commandment, 
that must have meant there was an old commandment, right? The old commands were the law and the prophets of the Old Testament. And so it's impossible for us to keep all of the rules and the commands that we find there. We fall short of them all of the time. We sin against God. We sin against each other. But Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again to pay the penalty of our sins and our shortcomings, to save us from an eternal hell and save us to eternity in heaven and to give us abundant life here on earth. Because we have salvation in none other than Jesus, he has fulfilled the law. He has fulfilled the commandments. And now he gives us a new commandment. As a matter of fact, he said that all of the commandments, all of the commandments of Scripture can be hung on two main commandments, and that is to love God and to love others. This is the new commandment that he's speaking about. Love the body of Christ, love each other the way that Jesus loved us. Now, how did he love us? He loved us so much that he humbled himself and became man to live a sinless life, to die the cruelest of deaths on a cross, to atone for our sins. And he rose victoriously on the third day from a barred tomb to give us victory, to give us life abundantly, and to give it to us eternally. How did Jesus love he discipled close followers. He ate with sinners. He had close friends. He performed miracles. He preached. He taught to the crowds. He washed feet. He had compassion. He loved his creation. And that's how we are to love one another, the way that Christ loves us. That's a good place for an amen. Okay. We'll get better. Why don't you look to your neighbor? Let me just say this to you. Look to your neighbor, and I, I want you to say this. I might not know you that well, but I love you. I might not know you that well, but I love you. But folks, you got to see that it's got to be more than lip service. It's out of humility, it's out of compassion, it's out of sacrifice that we esteem others higher than ourselves. We put others ahead of ourselves because that's how Jesus loves you and me. And therefore, we ought to love one another. In following the pastor, Pastor James, and following the pattern of Pastor James, I have three main points and then subpoints, about 12. <laughs> Just kidding. You have those in your handout this morning. As a matter of fact, the actual uh, main points, the three I'm going to give you this morning, and then you have the subpoints that's listed there. And I'm going to give you some scripture references. You can jot those down in the margins as well. Here's the first main point I want to share with you this morning. The one another's of Scripture. I want to give you an overview of the one another's of Scripture. Did you know that one another is two words in the English language, but it's only one word in the Greek language? One another. One another is used some 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. 47 of those verses give instructions to the church. 60% of those instructions actually come from the Apostle Paul. There's some common themes throughout these one another's 
The first one is unity. One-third of the one another commands deal with the unity of the church. Love is another theme. One-third of them instruct Christians to love one another. That's what we'll be focusing on today. Humility, about 15% stress an attitude of humility and deference among believers. And then there's an array of other singular focus of one another's. You can find a list of the one another's of scriptures in multiple discipleship studies. One of my favorites is actually Nancy Lee DeMoss's. And uh, instead of me going through that this morning, I'll get you to Google it and, uh, and read that at your leisure. So the first main point that I wanted to share with you was the overview of the one another's in scripture. The second thing I want to bring to your attention is the one another's that are not in scripture. You will not find these in God's word. He would never command us or encourage us to do the following. Sanctify one another. Humble one another. Scrutinize one another. Pressure one another. Embarrass one another. Corner one another. Interrupt one another. Defeat one another. Sacrifice one another. Shame one another. Marginalize one another. Exclude one another. Judge one another. Run one another's lives. Confess one another's sins. You see, your walk with the Lord is reflective in the way that you treat one another. And if you're truly following Christ, you will treat others like you would treat Jesus. And by the way, that should be like royalty. But the opposite is also true. If you're not following Jesus, you're likely living a very selfish life, putting yourself ahead of others, and you will treat them like second class or sometimes like dirt. Our love for one another reveals what we really believe about Jesus as opposed to what we think we believe. It reveals our convictions as opposed to our opinions. You see, when the gospel grips us deep in our convictions, we believe it, we accept it, and we live it wholeheartedly. But when we mistreat one another, it reveals a deeper problem. It's not a lack of surface niceness. We can be nice on the outside, but it's an indication of a lack of gospel depth. Don't get me wrong, I think that we could benefit from better manners these days. We need to be nice. But what we really need is a deep faith and trust in Jesus so that we can love each other the way that he loves us. And it's then that John's Gospel, verse 35, it's then that a watching world will know that you and I, we belong to Jesus. We're his disciples when we have love for one another. I read an article sometime last year, and I saved it. It's from Desiring God. Maybe you, you look at that writing or blogs. And I love how the author offered categories for the one another's. And that's what you have this morning in your outline. This is the third point, the categories of the one another's. Remember I said earlier that there are some 100 times in the New Testament that Jesus and the apostles tell us to feel and to say and to do something to one another. 
We're to care for one another. We're to bear with one another. We're to honor one another. We're to sing to one another, do good to one another. We're to forgive one another. And then there's this overarching, most repeated one another's that we're commanded that binds all of these together, and that is to love one another. So here goes the 100 one another's. Number one, I'm just kidding. Six categories. If we're going to love one another the way that Christ loves us, then first we must have the mind of Christ. Esteem others higher than we do ourselves. And let me give you a couple of references here. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count one another more significant than yourself. In 1 Peter 5, 5, it says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. You see, we might be tempted to approach the one another's with a list of what we should be doing for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And certainly as we look at these in their totality, the command leads us to action. But before we say or do something for one another, God calls us to a covenant relationship with him and with each other. And so we should feel something toward one another. Have this mind among yourselves, he says, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And this mind or attitude can be captured in one key word that we see in both of these verses, and that word is humility. You see, it's possible to obey the one another's on the outside, and yet our mind and our heart not be in sync with Jesus on the inside. Amen. You can greet one another with a smile, but behind that smile, there's bitterness. You can encourage someone, you can flatter them, and deep down, you're jealous of them. You can bear one another's burdens, but below the surface, you want to come across as the Savior, and you want to get all the credit for helping them out. And before you know it, the focus of the one another's it's not on the one another, it's, it's on you. But humility is the mind, the heart, the attitude, the posture, the action of Christ. Humility helps us see others the way that Jesus does. Jesus humbled himself when he came to earth in the form of man. Jesus humbled himself when he came to serve rather than to be served. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. Humility goes low, it goes below the surface to raise others up higher than ourselves. That's the mind, that's the heart, that's the attitude, the posture, the action of Jesus, and it should be ours as the body of Christ. Second category of the one another's is to welcome and show hospitality to one another. If we're going to love the way that Jesus loved, if we're going to love one another the way that he did, then we're going to have to be welcoming and we're going to have to show hospitality to one another. Here are the three references. Paul's letter to the church at Rome in chapter 12, he says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. He says in chapter 15, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. 
1 Peter 4, 9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> I'll pause there, because uh, <laughs> without grumbling. Notice the one another's. It started inwardly with the mind of Christ, which is humility, and now we're moving outwardly to our eyes and to our mouth and to our outstretched hands. We see this in the example of Jesus. The mind of Christ led him to action as he came down to earth toward us, not away from us. He came to us. He came to us with a welcome, an open door, open arms as his spirit was drawing us to himself. And so his love and compassion for mankind created a sweet fellowship, a love that turned strangers into brothers and sisters into disciples of his. And now we, as his disciples, walk in the same love and offer that same welcome to others. Paul says, welcome one another. Now, that sounds easy in theory, but here again, a welcome, it's more than a gesture, it's more than a nod, it's more than a verbal hello. And Paul was very specific when he says that the welcome is not meant for only those people that we like. But rather, it is a command that calls us to warmly embrace, to gladly associate with, and readily invite people into our homes. Everyone in the church, not picking and choosing, including those who seem lowly, Paul says, and those who are tempted to judge, those that we're tempted to judge and even despise. You see, if Christ left heaven to welcome sinners like you and me, then we can cross the church aisle or meet in the foyer to welcome some difficult members who don't always agree with us. And if Jesus opened his heart to let strangers in, then we can open our homes to others, no matter how strange they are. And we've got some strange members. <laughs> I mean, I know, because I'm one of them, right? But seriously, we are to welcome, we are to show hospitality to everyone. And so that means you're invited to our house at any time, with Jan's permission. <laughs> Jesus welcomed sinners, strangers. He welcomed the lonely, and we're to do likewise. Not just welcome church members we like, not just welcome church members that we have things in common with, who have the same family dynamic, who belong to the same small group, who belong to the same political party, who like the same sports teams. And while there's a natural bend to gravitate toward these folks, there's also a natural bend to become cliquish in the church. And Paul says, show hospitality to everyone, not just a few, to everyone. Now, how do we do that practically? Matthew Imadi, in one of the little nine marks booklets that we have out in the foyer, and I would encourage you to, to take a look at those, he says, if you want to show welcome and hospitality, and you want to do so intentionally, here's what you need to do. You need to arrive to church early so that you can chat with people, introduce yourself, have some conversation with them. You don't have to be a greeter to greet and welcome guests. 
He says, step up, step out of your comfort zone and start welcoming people just naturally. Just start doing it. Serve in the nursery or children's ministry. You want to meet some new people? Serve in the nursery. Serve in children's ministry. Sing loudly and cheerfully. On, on key, maybe? <laughs> to encourage and admonish one another in corporate worship. Sit by different people each week to get to know different folks. If for some reason you guys sat over here next week, you would throw Pastor James completely off. <laughs> but why would you do that? I mean, we don't have pews or assigned seats any longer, so take advantage to get to know more people. Shake it up a little bit, right? Don't rush out of the door as soon as the service is over. Hang around, talk to people. Invite people to join you for lunch at a restaurant or in your home. Intentionally open your home and invite people over to spend some time with them. It could just be for coffee or desserts or, or a meal. Encourage them. Pray for them. Serve them. Share joys. Share burdens with each other. That's a good list, isn't it? But you need to know that this welcome thing, this hospitality thing, it can be costly. I mean, it's going to cost you a little money if you're going to feed them, right? It's going to cost you your schedule. It will expend emotional and physical energy. But it's worth it. Why? Because hospitality is about serving others. And like Jesus, serving requires sacrifice and self-giving. Can we do that as a church? It's going to be interesting to see next week. Where are you sitting? It's also going to be interesting to see which one of you invites me to lunch. <laughs> the third category of the one another's. If we're going to love one another like Jesus loves us, then we will speak the word of God to one another. Speak his word. And let me give you three references here. Paul writes to the church at Colossae. In chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. He writes to the church at Thessalonica. This is his first letter. Encourage one another and build one another up. And then Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never harm me. Ever heard that? That is a lie. That is not true. People can say very hurtful things with their words. And so we have to make sure that as followers of Jesus, we intentionally speak words of encouragement that build one another up. I've also heard people say, actions speak louder than words. And that might be true, but the reality is, words matter, don't they? Not to mention our attitude when we speak, not to mention our tone, not to mention the volume of our voice, the sighing, the gestures that we make, like rolling your eyes or your arms folded. It's all part of communication, verbal and nonverbal. But as believers in Jesus, we all possess the living and abiding word of God. And it's our role to bring the life of God's word to others through our own words. Paul says, 
that we're not only to speak, but we're to teach, we're to instruct, we are to admonish, encourage, exhort, comfort, honor, stir up, and yes, even sing God's word. So let your voice be heard with the right attitude, the right tone, the words of Jesus that build up the body of Christ. That's how we love one another with our words. And by the way, for those of us who find ourselves stuck in difficult situations or awkward circumstances and we don't know what to say to people, here's what you can say. You can speak God's word. It speaks for itself. It addresses every need. So as we welcome one another, don't be afraid to look for opportunities to talk to people and share a portion of God's word that applies to the occasion or their circumstance that it may give grace to those who hear, Paul says. We're to be ready to stir up one another to love and good works from God's word. So I'm not saying that we need to cut the small talk because <laughs> we can engage in small talk. But if we're going to genuinely love one another, there should be intentionality in moving from generic conversation on the surface to a deeper spiritual conversation to encourage and to edify one another. Amen? Amen? And of course, if we're going to be talking people, that means that we also need to be listening people. Because communication goes both ways. Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes, we can speak the word of God faithfully and accurately only when we listen with the ears of God. That's how we get to know our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we get to know about their testimony, how they came to know him and to love him and to serve him. We learn of their needs. We learn of their desires by listening. We also listen because the Lord places people in our lives to speak truth and encouragement to us, and we'll never hear that if we're not willing to listen to them. We need ears to listen, and we need a voice to speak God's word to one another. Where are we? Number four? Number four? Are we? Well, that's where I am. Okay. So if we're going to love one another, then we need to show it. We need to live it. Number four is to show the love of Christ to one another. Here's three references. Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, chapter 5, always seek to do good to one another. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. And then Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So as important as our words are to others, people need more from us than just mere words. Jesus didn't just speak. He didn't just preach. He didn't just teach to people during his earthly ministry. He healed them. He touched them. He delivered them. He ate with them. He spent time with them. And so as disciples, we are more than talking heads to people, right? We're also hands and feet and shoulders. We not only speak his love, we not only speak his word, but we show it and we live it. Now, when we serve others, it might seem that it requires sacrifice, more sacrifice than just offering words of encouragement or edification. I mean, after all, it's one thing to speak comforting words. 
I mean, it's one thing to post a message on Facebook. There's one thing to put up a prayer emoji on social media or send a card or text to someone, but it's a whole nother level of service to sit long hours at the hospital to comfort a family whose loved one is having surgery or sitting in the home with a family whom has just lost a loved one or carrying a meal over to a home after someone in their family has passed away or showing up to cut grass or weed eat because someone is recovering from surgery. That's a whole different level. We're moving from lip service to living it out. And this kind of love for one another, it interrupts our plans. It puts our agenda on the back burner. And we care for the needs of others before our own. Our service to the Lord and his church has a much deeper meaning than good words and good works. It's all about Jesus and the talents and the spiritual gifts that he's given to us to serve others. You see, you're not just filling a void. You're not just saying yes to the nominating committee or providing a rotation of the nursery duty or volunteering at the local schools or feeding the hungry at the food bank or on the streets. You are ministering with a supernatural gifting that edifies and builds up the local church. You're not filling a void or filling a spot. You're serving King Jesus and his church. You're not just keeping the nursery. You're providing an opportunity for parents to be spiritually fed in order to raise up their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You're feeding the hungry in order for them to receive the spiritual food where they will never hunger or thirst again. Jesus said, when you've done it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you've done it unto me. And folks, we have a lot of least of these in our church and in our community. And when we show the love of Christ to others, you're showing your love for Jesus. So we need the mind and the heart of Christ. We must be willing to welcome and show hospitality to one another. We should speak the word of Jesus to encourage one another. And then we must live the word. Does that make sense? So we're at number five. If we're going to love one another the way that Christ loves us, then we must offer God's grace to one another. A couple of scriptures. Paul's letter to Ephesus, chapter 4, verse 2, says, Bear with one another in love. Verse 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I love these instructions from Paul. Bear with one another in love. In other words, put up with me in love. But that also means I have to put up with you in love. No matter the circumstance, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, I am to love you the way that Christ loves you and me. And that's unconditionally. So I have to put up with you. I have to bear with you. I have to bear with my wife and my children and my boss and my coworkers and my neighbors and my friends and teachers and church members and bear with them in love. 
I don't always have to like them. I don't always have to like the circumstance, but I have to love them, and I have to love them through it. And don't forget, I need to speak the words of encouragement of Christ himself to them. By the way, I am instructed to be kind to you, sensitive to you and your needs, looking beyond the surface and looking at you through the eyes of Jesus to see you the way that he does. I have a good friend and pastor in Orange, Virginia. I've preached at the church several times, and throughout the building are signs that read, just be sweet. When I asked him about them, he said when he became the pastor of the church, they had a troubled past, bad reputation in the community. They were known for their bickering and nitpicking over the least little thing. He said that when he arrived, he said to the church family, this pattern must stop. We will love each other. We will respect one another. We will seek the unity of the church. We'll build one another up. We'll speak encouragement to each other. He says, we're not going to have any more knock-down, drag-out business meetings, no more personal agendas. We will esteem each other higher than ourselves. In a nutshell, what I was simply asking them to do was just be sweet. Signs were everywhere. As a matter of fact, they made these trifle signs for every family to have one to place in their home. He gave us one. We put it on our TV stand just as a reminder to just be sweet. And I can tell you, Jan used it over and over again. <laughs> Do you think that's what Paul was talking about when he gave the instructions to bear with one another, be kind to one another in love? I think he was saying to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Red Lane, just be sweet. Just be sweet. But he also said that when someone has wronged you, you're to be quick to forgive like Christ has forgiven you. This kind of love, it, it can hurt, it can sting a bit to swallow your pride and forgive someone completely. Not keeping an account of their sins against you, not holding on to a grudge, not allowing it to cloud the way that you see them and view them. This is really a Calvary type of love, isn't it? I'm not sure that we are capable of this kind of love outside of the forgiveness that Jesus has given to us on Calvary. And because he has, we can and we ought to forgive one another. So, number one, to love one another like Christ loves us, we need the mind of Christ, we need the heart of Christ. Number two, we must be willing to welcome and show hospitality to one another. Number three, we should speak the word of Jesus to encourage one another. Number four, we must live the word of God. Number five, we must bear with one another, be kind and forgiving to one another, and when we do this, people outside of the church are going to take notice. Which leads us to the final category, number six. Love one another outside of the church. Jesus said in our focal verses, 
John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And then he says this in verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We live in a world that has its own set of one another's, one another's brokenness, one another's hatred, one another's manipulation, one another's selfishness. And we, as a local congregation, we exist to show the world that there is a different way. There is one way, one Lord, for their life and for your life, and his name is Jesus. He reconciles us to himself. He reconciles us to each other, commanding us to love him and to love one another. So as we're going out into our community, into the parks, into the schools, into the coffee shops, the sports leagues, into our neighborhoods. They will know whose we are because of our love for each other. Those on the outside will know that we're disciples of Jesus because of the way we love and treat each other on the inside. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Well, at the beginning of the message, I had you to look to your neighbor and say, what? I might not know you that well, but I love you, right? More than likely, that was lip service. <laughs> let's be real. Let's, let's be honest this morning. Maybe we need to look to our neighbor and say, I might not know you that well, but I want to learn to love you the way that Christ loves you. A little different, isn't it? I might not know you that well, but I want to learn to love you the way that Christ loves you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I am thankful to be a part of a church a local body of believers that I believe genuinely love each other. But I've got to admit this morning there are times that I don't love the way that you loved me. The way that you've set the example for the church, the way that you need the church to be in order to be the witness of the gospel to a lost and dying community and world. So with conviction this morning, not just my opinion, but this is God's word and your Holy Spirit has brought forth conviction in my own heart and in my own life that sometimes my mind and heart is not like Jesus. There are times that I don't want to take the time to greet, the time to welcome, let alone open my home to everyone. There are times that I don't speak the word of Jesus. Sometimes I just give my own opinion and my own advisement when your word is all that we need. Help me to be a living example of that word. Help me to bear with one another. Help me to be kind and forgiving toward one another. 
And Lord, I believe that as a congregation, if this is our desire, this is, we're taking this commandment seriously, that we do have people whom have never trusted you in our community, people who have wandered from a right relationship with you, who are not going to church. They would want to be a part because they see as disciples, as followers of Jesus, that we genuinely love one another as you've commanded. So right now at this time of decision, this time of invitation, Lord, there's personal conviction, so there's some things that I need to confess and repent of and turn away from and turn toward you. But Lord, because this is about the one another's, because this is about loving one another, that could mean that right now in obedience to what you're asking me to do, I, I might have to get that one another in this room and, and pray with them and encourage them pray with them. Maybe I'm going to need to call or text or go visit this afternoon or open my home. Whatever it is you're asking me to do, to love one another the way that you have loved us, I want to be obedient to that. So I might be coming to the altar on my own initiative by your Holy Spirit's prompting, but I also might be coming to the altar with one another someone else that I need to pray for and encourage that I haven't done. So right now, Lord, have your will in your way. Help us to respond in obedience to what it is you're asking us to do, personally, but also as the one another's. Help us to love the way that Christ does. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.